Hi, Yasmin here. I just want to acknowledge that today's show is part of a fast-moving news story. So for the very latest, head over to Sleep.com. Okay, here's the show. The death toll and the level of suffering in Israel and in Gaza has worsened since the attack by Hamas on October 7th. Now Israel has declared war and ordered more than a million Palestinians to relocate. I've been, uh, you know, following the conflict and I've lived in Israel and I've been following it for now, you know, three decades. And honestly, I don't think I can recall as difficult a week as this past week. Dove Waxman is a professor of political science at UCLA, and he leads the Nazarian Center for Israel Studies at the university. He's still processing the initial surprise attack by Hamas, the killings, the taking of hostages. Then, the retaliatory airstrikes by Israel and the forced evacuation of Palestinians in Gaza. It's a very emotionally conflicting time because on the one hand, you want to kind of mourn and grieve the loss of life and, and uh, the, the, the terror that Israelis have suffered. And at the same time, also remain empathetic and compassionate uh, about the plight of Gazans now uh, suffering under Israel's airstrikes and, and now also being forced to leave their homes. Last week, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu formed an emergency unity government, bringing in a more centrist political rival. The move was meant to increase trust in Israel's leaders, something Dove says Netanyahu has lost. I think many, many Israelis felt completely abandoned by their government. First of all, many felt abandoned by the IDF on the day of the attack uh, and the following day, given how long it took the IDF to actually um, send troops over to toward uh, the communities in the Gaza Strip uh, to uh, to try to protect them, so I think there was a sense of abandonment in the in the hours of the attack itself. But in the in beyond that, um, the sense that this government was completely absent. I mean, many people, you know, were hearing. Uh, or seeing on social media that their friends or their relatives or their parents uh, or grandparents had been uh, abducted. They weren't hearing this from the Israeli government. And I also think there is a deep sense of anger over the failings which allowed this attack to happen. You know, but sometimes when issues of national security come up and national tragedy, you'll see citizens rally behind their leader. Has that happened? Uh, no, it actually hasn't. You're right that, that typically you do see that kind of, you know, what we political science call like that, that rally around the flag effect. There is a rally around the flag in the sense that there is a huge sense of uh, unity among Israelis and a strong coming together and a revulsion against Hamas and a desire to take action. But it's not translating into support for uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. I, I don't think he can recover that political support. Today on the show, Israel's new government for its new war. I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to spend some time parsing this out, the unity government. Tell me about it. Who has Netanyahu teamed up with and how did it come together so quickly? Well, it's really an emergency government in so far as it's only um, intended for the duration of the war itself. And in order to uh, to do that, they just brought in only one uh, of the uh, opposition parties, National Unity Party, led by Benny Gantz. So the other leading opposition party ref- has has refused to join. So it's not really a broad based government in that sense. It doesn't certainly doesn't include uh, uh, any Arab parties. Doesn't include parties on the left of the Israeli political spectrum or the centre left. Um, I mean, Benny Gantz's National Unity Party is actually um, re- a right wing party or at least centre right. Um, but but Gantz is considered a, a a kind of safe pair of hands, a relatively moderate. And he also has his deputy, um, another former IDF chief of staff, who's also joining this small wartime cabinet. So what you have essentially is a very small um, a, a wartime cabinet, a three-person cabinet, just made up of Prime Minister Netanyahu, his defence minister, and now Benny Gantz. But the emergency government has one task and one task only, which is to conduct the war and to make decisions during war. Uh, the agreement was it won't deal with anything else. It will not introduce any other legislation. And so um, really everything else is on hold um, while the war is being conducted. And I expect that when the war ends, the government will, this emergency government will not continue beyond that. Can you give us some more background on Benny Gantz? I know he has a lot of military experience. He has a lot of military. He's got a very uh, distinguished military career um, and was considered um, not, you know, especially hardline in that respect. And uh, is a much, much briefer political career. I think it's worth pointing out that Gantz's political views and approach to the Palestinians isn't vastly different from Netanyahu's. They're deeply distrustful of the Palestinians. They oppose the idea of a Palestinian state being established in the near term. They're not keen to enter negotiations with the Palestinians. They believe that there is uh, military options against Hamas. You know, then so so they share more uh, ideologically than they disagree about. I did want to linger on Netanyahu. You know, prior to the Hamas attack, he was seen by Israelis as Mr. Security, right? How did he build that image for himself? And and how did people believe him? Well, so I will say, first of all, he certainly, he was seen by some Israelis. He, um, Israelis are, you know, have been for quite some time divided about Netanyahu. He has strong uh, support among his base, among the the uh, Likud base, much like, say, you know, former President Trump does among Republicans. But there are many, and I would say the majority of Israelis who really dislike him strongly and blame him for all sorts of things. Uh, Because after all, he has been Israel's longest serving leader. 
Um, he's been in power most of the time since 2009. That's, he was also in office uh, in the 1990s. Right. I guess I should have said he fancied himself as Mr. Security. And indeed, that was historically a big part of his appeal. And part of that was because although he's a hawk, He's not been a, a military adventurist. So, um, you know, in those previous rounds of warfare between Israel and, and Hamas, for example, when he was prime minister, he was very reluctant to order a ground invasion of the Gaza Strip or to send Israeli troops into the Gaza Strip. And so, yes, he gave Israelis the impression that he uh, was very responsible um, and was the most effective uh, manager of their security. And it's it's ironic, actually, that you know, he cultivated this image of being Mr. Security when his actual policies on the ground, I would argue, um, actually contributed to uh, Israel's insecurity, in particular because he pursued for much of the last decade or more a policy which has actually allowed Hamas to consolidate its control over the Gaza Strip. Um, he actually, you know, kind of saw Hamas as... In, in Hamas rule in Gaza is in some ways uh, a positive thing for Israel, strange as that may seem, because it undermined any sort of legitimacy for the Palestinian Authority. It made it very obvious to Israelis why there shouldn't be a Palestinian state, because, you know, they might get Hamas ruling that state. And so Hamas served Netanyahu's uh, interests and his, his worldview in a certain way. And, and in that respect, you know, that contributed not only to what happened last weekend, but also to all of the previous uh, wars that had taken place. Because rather than build up and support or negotiate with the more moderate Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, Netanyahu preferred to weaken the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank and allow Hamas to consolidate its rule in Gaza. Yeah. I mean, people were raising concerns that Netanyahu had sidelined security and the protection of the Jewish state in favor of his political agenda in general. Who were the people that were raising red flags um, in addition to his to his policy with Hamas and in Gaza? Well, actually, I mean, many members, one of the interesting things um, inside Israel is that despite his reputation for Mr. Security, he's long had a tense um, and difficult relationship with the with Israel's military and intelligence establishment. Hmm. And also in terms of his policies towards the West Bank and particularly acceleration of settlement building deep inside the West Bank, these actions that many Israeli security officials believed were dangerous, risky, and undermined Israeli security. So there's actually been, it's not just, you know, Israelis on the left or on the far left who criticized Netanyahu, but many, you know, very um, sober, uh, minded uh, Israeli generals um, have come out in recent years with with really harsh criticisms of Netanyahu. Yeah, I saw a recent poll that showed that four out of five Israelis or Jewish Israelis blame Netanyahu and the government for the Hamas attack. That's right. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, and, and that it's remarkable that that's already the sentiment. And I think once the uh, the picture becomes clearer of what was known or what uh, before, because now there are reports, and I think reliable reports, that Mr. Yo personally received some advance warning that Hamas might be planning something major. They didn't know the, the details, but that once these uh, this information gets out and there's going to be a commission of inquiry, then I think it's going to be even more damning for Netanyahu. So in terms of this getting us to where we are at with this unity government, 
Netanyahu was left with no choice, really, but to form it, and that he perhaps needs Gantz in order to lead the country right now. That's right. He does. I, I think he needs to have, I think Israel needs an emergency government right now, because this is, you know, um, a really a, a, a moment in Israel's history, unlike any uh, of it, uh, anything in the past. And so I think overwhelmingly there was and is a strong desire among the public to have a, some, a unity government, an emergency government. Because um, Netanyahu and his ministers just had no, there's no confidence in that government. So he does need them. You know, he's going to be trying to project himself as the, the person in charge. He's going to see himself as this is his kind of Churchillian moment, if you like, you know, that he's going to be this great wartime leader. But I think Israelis will see through that. After the break, the unity government's in place, their military strategy is becoming clearer. Will Palestinian civilians face the brunt of it? So Netanyahu has now formally declared that Israel is at war. Um, And as we said, Israel has ordered more than a million Palestinians to leave the north of Gaza and go south. The nation has also halted access, Gaza's access to electricity, to fuel, to food and water, I believe. Um, And Netanyahu has said every Hamas member is a dead man. What do we know about the military approach so far? So Israel has um, mobilized, um, I think uh, last I heard about 360,000 people, reservists said that is a massive, massive mobilization of uh, Israeli uh, soldiers. Uh, unlike any anything we've seen in the past in terms of the the size of that, um, and what that means is that's that's you know those those reserve soldiers who are who have been massing on is on Israel's southern border with Gaza. You know these are civilians who have other jobs and lives and families, and they're leaving them, and so they can't uh, they can't sustain that mobilization for any length of time. Um, because it just means the whole country is shut down. The goal of this military operation seems to be different than the goal of previous operations. In the past, Israel contented itself if, uh, with delivering what it called with these kind of punishing blows against Hamas, trying to deplete its uh, weapons uh, stockpiles and kill its leadership and military leaders, specifically not, uh, not necessarily its political leaders, um, this time, however, Israel is going beyond that. It's not just trying to punish uh, and then and deter Hamas, but it seems that Israel is intent upon completely removing Hamas from power. Uh, I think there's a real danger here that Israel will repeat uh, mistakes that it's previously made in its history in, in the invasion of Lebanon in 1982 and mistakes that the United States made after the September 11th terrorist attack. Uh, in trying to carry out regime change, um, you know, and realize, and then once you go in and you can depose a regime, you can topple the regime, but um, then what? Gaza is one of the most densely populated places on earth. And there, you know, has been reporting that spaces that are relatively safe, like hospitals and schools, have been targeted. Um by airstrikes. Israel's defense minister even claimed that the nation is fighting human animals. 
Um, what will what impact will this war strategy likely have on the people of Gaza? Well, it seems that the uh, the, the the way Israel is conducting its war is really with little regard, um, tragically, for the uh, civilians of Gaza. Um, I, there's so much public outrage and anger and grief and sorrow among Israelis right now that there's a huge burning desire, I think, among many Israelis for retribution to just, you know, hit back as hard as possible. I think Israelis also experience a sense of humiliation. And that means that that that's what is, um, I think, shaping uh, the the conduct of this of this military campaign in a way that nobody really cares less. Uh, about uh, Palestinian civilians in the Gaza Strip because uh, tragically for them, uh, Hamas is, of course, embedded in among civilians. Hamas um, keeps rockets and weapons under hospitals, under schools. And it does pose, therefore, a huge dilemma for the Israeli military uh, in in going after Hamas is because it is Hamas is, is based and housed in such a densely populated uh, and largely urban territory. So I think Israel has a moral responsibility as well as a legal one to minimize as much as possible. And it's very difficult. And I don't want to make light of the difficulties. But at least in, in the past, in Israeli military operations, there was at least some attempt. Uh, you know, they they provided these kind of what they called knocks on ruse, where they would drop a, a little uh, bomblet, which was like non-lethal on a building before they... Um, carrying out an airstrike against that building. This time around, they don't seem to be doing that. Um, and the instruction to tell, you know, over a million Palestinians to just leave, where are they going to go? That it, it's, it seems that there is a complete disregard for the needs and the welfare of innocent civilians in Gaza. My last question about Netanyahu's leadership. Um, you know, for now, Netanyahu remains in power, albeit alongside one of his political rivals. Um, but I'm wondering if you think that his political career will survive this. I think he's, he will always be remembered for uh, what took place on, on the 7th of October. That was Israel, the darkest day in Israel's history, and he will always be remembered for that. But in Israel's political system, the government... Uh, only falls not when it's lost the support of the Israeli public, but when it's lost the support of a of a majority in the parliament. And so he'll cling on, um, and they'll the, his coalition uh, will try to remain in, together for as long as possible to avoid elections. Because when those elections happen, I think they will be turfed out of office. Israelis will remember these events. They're, they are seared into Israel's memory. Um, and I think Netanyahu and the Likud will be held responsible. I don't necessarily think that will lead to any sort of uh, shift to the left or any re- major political realignment in Israel. But I think it will uh, at least lead to uh, a different government uh, in Israel. Dov, thank you so much for your time. I'm really grateful for this conversation. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Dove Waxman is the director of the Nazarian Center for Israel Studies at UCLA. His most recent book is called The Israeli-Palestinian Conflict, What Everyone Needs to Know. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus, 
Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery, with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations at Slate. And I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.